Eagles Entertainment. Eagles fans, the midterm election is right around the corner. Now is the time to create your game plan to vote on November 8th. Text EAGLES to 26797 to register to vote and check your voter registration status. This year, voters will have the chance to elect officials to the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and many local and state positions. You can vote in person, by mail, or at a secure ballot drop box. If you are registered to vote in Philadelphia County, you can drop off your ballot at Lincoln Financial Field on Friday, October 28th, or Sunday, November 6th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Our democracy is only as strong as our commitment to participate in it. Go Birds, and go vote. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and week nine of college football is over and done with. It was a wild weekend once again in college football. A ton to take away, a lot of news, but we're going to get to it here at the very top of the show with Saturday Scouting. Dane Brugler here once again. We're going to hash out everything we saw this weekend across the country. We're going to cover our big takeaways, our standout players. We're going to give out our game balls, our plays of the week, everything right at the top of the show in Saturday Scouting. After that, we've got On the Clock, where Gabriella DiGiovanni is going to once again play Judge and jury for Dane and I. It's our weekly debate segment. This week, we're going to talk through a scary proposition. It's a, this, a Halloween Monday. We're going to talk through a scary proposition for defenses around college football. After that, we've got Under the Hood, where Eric Crocker is going to join the show to talk about how he scouts corners, projecting them to the NFL. Not just inside players, but more the boundary corners. How do those guys fare uh, when transitioning from college to the NFL? No, no one better to talk through that than with Eric Crocker. Always love catching up with Crocker, and he joins the show in our Under the Hood segment. Then we've got a special edition of our scouting report, where every week Ben Fennell and I kind of talk shop on a former or a current Eagles player from when they were coming out of the NFL draft well this week I want to reflect on a conversation I had with Darius Slay's former defensive coordinator Jeff Collins who most recently was the head coach at Georgia Tech well uh, I talked with Jeff Collins a couple of years ago over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast and we talked about not just Slay but Fletcher Cox as well and so I, I wanted to pull the quotes from coach Collins talking about Slay what he was like in college what projected him so well to the NFL we're going to get into that that in that conversation with Scouting Report. As always, make sure you head on over to our Apple Podcast page or Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and that is the number one way, the best way to support this show. If you listen every single week, if you feel like, hey, you know what, Journey of the Draft has gotten me ready for the draft every single year, one way to repay the favor, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question or a mock draft for us to break down, you head on over there, you leave it in the comment section. We'll address it in a later show, and you help us. So it's uh, you know it's good for everybody involved. It's a win-win. So we really appreciate everybody that has done that lately. We will continue answering those questions and, and referencing those mock drafts in upcoming episodes. So appreciate everybody that has done that in recent weeks. That said, let's get this show started. Excited to catch up with Dane Brugler. Talk through this weekend in college football in Saturday Scout. It's time for Saturday Scouting.
All right, let's now take a look at what happened this week in college football. And, Dane, we're starting to get a little bit of uh, more newsworthy bites. Um, we had some, uh, a couple from the SEC, to be honest. Auburn firing head coach Brian Harson. So we'll see some, uh, some news with the Auburn program, how that affects some decisions that some of those players make. But uh, I do want to ask you about Florida pass rusher Brenton Cox Jr. Uh, he was dismissed from the team. Uh, Billy Napier, the head coach, saying we decided to move on from Brenton Cox Jr. Uh, thoughts on how that could impact the senior defensive lineman? Yeah, and I think we've touched on it before on this podcast, um, but the previous coaching staff uh, under Coach Mullins, I mean, they they did not talk kindly of him uh, to scouts. And so it felt like the new coaching staff taking over Florida would be a fresh start for, for Brenton Cox, uh, you know, a chance to really change the narrative because uh, he's a good player and he has – uh, juice off the edge. Uh, I mean, when, I mean, on the field, it's not like there's a motor issue. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of like, you know, just, uh, just polite, you know, remember uh, right. uh, the uh, Florida pass rusher a couple of years ago, who, you know, you turn on the tape and you're like, Oh wow, this guy's impacting the backfield and making plays. Um, but you know, the previous coaching staff, they, they wanted nothing to do with them. And, uh, I, I haven't heard if there was a, a, some type of incident that happened. So that was the final straw. But uh, unfortunately, it's just not not too surprising that this is the latest development. So now the next step is, will he get invited to an all-star game? That's going to be a huge step. Uh, Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, you know, how is that going to play out? On one hand, you know, it's like th- these games should be viewed on one hand as rewards, you know, like this is a you, you've worked so hard as a chance to, um, you know, go, you know, should he take a spot of someone that's maybe a little more deserving? Or do you invite him because you know what the NFL needs to figure him out? They they need time with him. They sure. need you know, and, and so it's it's I, I think it puts uh you know both the you know these all star games in kind of a difficult spot about what to do with a guy like Brenton Cox. But uh, you know he has draftable talent. It's just a matter of uh, you know figuring out the person and you know uh, just you know, what's what's going on there. Uh, so it it'll be interesting to kind of track throughout the process the all star games, the combine. Um, you know, how Brenton Cox does with teams. Yeah, cer- certainly not the first prospect to go through this, uh, but it's one of the right. first ones that we're talking about here uh, this season and this draft cycle. So uh, we'll continue to monitor uh, and see any news that comes out uh, when it comes to Brenton Cox Jr. We'll see that it seems like we are right on the precipice of uh, invite season and acceptance season with uh, these all-star games with the Shrine Bowl and with the Senior Bowl. So uh, certainly we'll keep an eye out uh, for that news. We'll be breaking down all of those acceptances as they happen. So uh, with that in the rearview mirror here, Dane, uh, let's now take a look at what happened this week on the field. I'll let you kick things off here. Give us a, your game ball on offense. Who was the guy that stood out to you over the weekend? I'm going to go with the offensive tackle play in that Ohio State-Penn State game. Um, if your NFL team, if they need an offensive tackle, this tape is what you need to be watching. Uh, first, Penn State left tackle, Olu Fashnu, uh, maybe the best offensive lineman in the country. And wow. I know that's a lofty statement. The tape does not lie. This guy is 6'6", 320 pounds. The movement skills, the hand technique, uh, the core strength, it's a really scary combination. And then you factor in, he's only 19 years old. He has single-digit starts in his career. He's still learning in a lot of respects. But this guy has the the physical talent. He's really intelligent. He works really hard. uh, And he's already one of the best NFL prospects in the country. Uh, He played really well against Ohio State. He'll have a big decision to make after the year. Uh, And then for the Buckeyes, both of their offensive tackles are NFL starters. 
Paris Johnson at left tackle has been as advertised. Uh, we talked about him over the summer as being uh, a, a guy, a, a future uh, a potential first round pick. Um, he, you know, as maybe a top 20 guy coming into the year, he's only helped himself zero sacks this year, zero penalties. Uh, he had a nice game against Penn state and then right tackle Dewan Jones, incredibly impressive because of how much progress he has made from last year's tape, six, eight and a half, 360 pounds, just a massive human being. Uh, and he can control you when he get his hand, when he gets his hands on you, but it's just, you know, what could he do against wide rushers or guys that get into his body? And, and these are where the improvements come in, the balance, the strike timing, uh, especially with mid kick slide, uh, when he's trying to protect the corner, it, it's been really impressive to watch his, his maturation. I think the biggest thing with him, we have to remember he's only 21 years old. He was a basketball first athlete most of his life. So now that he's really, uh, you know, committed himself to football and getting his body composition right. Uh, it, we're seeing, uh, you know, the fruits of his labor on the football field. His draft arrow is pointing way up. Yeah, I saw uh, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl tweeted about uh, one of their scouts talking about, you know, look, we had a guy uh, in John. He, he was a former player. He played with John Ogden uh, and played with against some other uh, quality offensive linemen. It was like Dewan Jones just looks the part, and that is absolutely. I mean, it is a mammoth offensive lineman. Um, real quick, just looking at, at Paris Johnson, you, I guess. Uh, suffice to say you've been happy with his transition that was the big question was what was that transition going to be like for him moving from right guard to left tackle that is a huge huge jump uh not just in change of like the sides going from right to left but also uh the different sets you're going to make all the everything that goes with uh the differences between guard and tackle uh you've been pretty happy with what you've seen so far yeah and you can tell he's still learning there are times that he misfires uh with his punch uh but he's so gifted that he can recover uh he can win consistently uh, the fluidity in his lower body, uh, you know, the, he has the flashes power so he can redirect and take care of different types of rushers. So I think the mistakes are fixable. Uh, and I think it's more because of inexperience uh, and not lack of ability. So this guy's got all the tools. I think he's going to be a top somewhere in the top half of round one. He's got that type of ability. Love it. All right, well, let's go from the trenches to uh, some playmakers here. And I'm going to go with Tennessee, just a, a really, really uh, decisive win against the University of Kentucky. That was one of the highlight games of the weekend and Tennessee coming through. Well, let's take a look at that playmaker, Jalen Hyatt. We've talked about him almost weekly here on the podcast over the last month. Cedric Tillman gets hurt. We talked about how big of an injury that was for this Tennessee offense. Well, Jalen Hyatt steps into the spotlight and does not disappoint. Came through with five catches, 138 yards, and two scores for quarterback Ken. Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, man. I mean, what else can you say? This guy has just been one of the best playmakers in college football so far this season. And what he's done for the last month for the Volunteers, there's a big reason. He's a big reason why they're number two in the country right now. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's funny. They scored what 44 points against Kentucky, and yeah. their points per game actually dropped. So <laughs> I mean, this this offense is ridiculous. Um, uh, good to see Cedric Tillman back out there. But yes. you know, talking about Jalen Hyatt, it's. The the speed, it, it really forces defenses to, uh, you know, puts them in, in, in conflict. And it, it really forces you to play perfect coverage. Um, Hendon Hooker is so good at uh, you know, making sure that when the play is there, he hits it. Um, now, you know, the Hendon Hooker evaluation is obviously a different conversation with, you know, half field reads and the quarterback friendly offense. But these receivers are doing exactly what they've been asked to do. And it's go make plays, get open, catch the football. Jalen Hyatt has done that. And I, I just it's so impressed with the speed and then the trust in his hands. Those two things, um, you know, it's 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 interesting now when we talk about him in terms of being a prospect, 
you know, like what are we talking about him as a top hundred pick, top fifty pick, uh, first round pick? Like it, it's it's it, it's it's interesting as we try to break him down. And you know, the coming from this type of offense, there hasn't been too many uh, you know receivers. You know, think about like a Corey Coleman uh, from from Baylor, and you know, we haven't seen a ton of these guys actually translate. But, you know, could Jalen Hyatt be the exception? Sure, absolutely could be with that speed. Yeah, it'll be fascinating just to see as Cedric Tillman becomes more of a factor and becomes healthier and healthier, like what what the split looks like uh, between those two because he's Hyatt has just been so, so impressive. And Tillman uh, is a physical marvel, as we, as we have talked about. Mm-hmm. Let's now go over to the defensive side of the football, Dan. Your game ball on defense from this weekend. I'm going to give it to Jalen Carter. Uh, it was really great to see him back on the field. He's been dealing with a knee issue um, against Florida. It was the first time he has played at least 20 snaps in a game since the opener against Oregon. So I, and it, you look at the stat sheet. I don't know that he even finished with a, a tackle. So that's don't look at the box score. But when you watch the tape, he, he looked back to his dominant self. Uh, he led Georgia with four quarterback pressures, and he did it with power, and he did it with quickness. On There was one rep where he simply bullied Osiris Torrance backwards into the pocket. Uh, and Torrance, you know, he's sitting down, sitting down, but he's still going in reverse, and he forced Anthony Richardson uh, to escape the pocket. So uh, Torrance is three, pushing 350 pounds. He's, he's a big guy, not easy to move, and Jalen Carter is able to do it. So he has that type of ability, and – we haven't talked about him much the last two months because of uh, because of that injury, but this is just a reminder of how good he is when he's on the field. And the last two players that we just talked about, Carter and Hyatt, they uh, they're going to they're be on the same field uh, on Saturday, so that's yeah. going to be a, a big one there with Georgia Tennessee. Something tells me in our preview episode later this week we'll be talking plenty about that matchup. Uh, I'm going to stay on the defensive line with a guy from the Group of Five conferences that we've uh, we talked about a little bit here on the show. Ben brought him up. Ben Fennell brought him up a couple of weeks ago. San Jose State defensive lineman Viliami Fajoko, dude, this guy had um, had himself a game against Nevada. Big win there for the Spartans over the Wolfpack. Four sacks in the win. He had four sacks actually the previous three weeks as well. So this guy has been on an absolute heater. Four sacks, four hurries, and a forced fumble. Viliami Fajoko, he is a player that you need to be familiar with. Um, just another one of these group of five pass rushers that uh, you know has proven that you know they're going to hear their name called earlier than you think uh, when we get to this point in the process. I'm fascinated uh, to dive deeper into his film because his production has been outstanding. So far, uh, especially over the last month of the year. So Fajoko, I wanted to give him some love after talking through some of these blue chip players early on in this segment. Let's now get to our one play takeaway. Uh, Dane, I would say for me, just to kick this one off, uh, one of my big surprise outcomes from the season, Kansas State just putting a hurting on Oklahoma State. I mean, just did not see this coming. And Deuce Vaughn, the junior running back for uh, for the Wildcats, a big reason why. He ran for uh, about a 150, I forget what the total mark was, but uh, a 62-yard run uh, where you saw the Jets. And that was kind of like the big question I had about Deuce Vaughn was like we know the size and he's really really quick he's fluid I really like his ability to make moves laterally but does he is he that kind of game breaker and is that gonna is that gonna limit what his ceiling is uh well he showed some jets uh running away from that Oklahoma State defense which is not a bad defense uh by the way uh Deuce Vaughn uh that that was my kind of like big take whoa whoa moment um from this uh from this past weekend yeah, Vaughn is tough to figure out as a pro prospect because he's just he's so small. You know, he's just he does not have there's not many guys that size. He's listed at 5'6, 176. Uh, so it would be interesting to get official measurements on him, but we just don't see many guys with those measurements uh you know make it at the at the pro level. I mean, obviously Darren Sproles, another Kansas State alum, yes. is, is the poster player for for that. 
So are we going to bet on Vaughn being the next Sproles? Maybe. I mean, Tariq Cohen uh, is the next closest guy, but Cohen was such a big time athlete. And he, so, yeah, he, he, he uh, like tested, he was, he ran like four, three. Like that's the thing with three right. cars. He was like, he was electric before his injuries. Exactly. So Vaughn is not that type of athlete. And so he is a really tough uh, player to figure out prospect to figure out. I wrote about it last week in my outlier article where went over a bunch of these guys that are just, you know, might not hit certain thresholds and benchmarks, but when you watch him, you see a good football player. And so a little tough to figure out, but you know, I'm glad you brought him up because yeah, he's fun to watch. Uh, that was a great piece, by the way. You and I haven't had a chance to talk about that, but make sure you go check out uh, the outlier piece that Dane posted last week over on The Athletic. Uh, Dane, how about you? What was your uh, one play takeaway from the weekend? Well, I told myself uh, to go away from the Ohio State-Penn State game, um, <laughs> just to mix things up, but I really want to highlight Penn State wide receiver Parker Washington. Yes. Uh, 11 catches, 179 yards, and a touchdown against Ohio State uh, in a losing effort. He had a career game when his team needed him. Several highlight-worthy plays. Uh, I want to talk about that 58-yard catch-and-run touchdown as my one play uh, takeaway. Penn State had trips to the field side. It's kind of a stick concept, so the ball is out of the quarterback's hands really quickly. Uh, Washington's expecting the throw at you know five, five yards depth. The throw is off and actually leads him into coverage. Washington has no problem adjusting with the throw, without fear, and then he breaks two tackles, outraces everybody in the end zone. Uh, Ohio State was up, I think, 10-0 at that point, so it was an important score, and I think it really highlighted Washington's ability after the catch. Uh, The toughness, uh, the balance, um, there were several throws, several catches that he had that should not have been first downs. They were in front of the sticks, but he made them a first down because of his ability to break tackles. Uh, it was a pretty impressive game from Parker Washington. I did not I we have not seen him play up to that level for a full game. I, I don't think his entire career. And we've seen flashes of it, but all four quarters, really impressive performance from him. Yeah, uh, this is a guy that I think when you ultimately look at uh, what he can do out on the football field, I mean, Ben, we might have to go and recycle some of those receipts from Ben. Ben, I know in the summer, was just glowing about Parker Washington, comparing him to some of the other big receivers in the Big Ten. He's like, oh, like, don't forget about this guy uh, over mm-hmm. with the Nittany Lions. And so uh, we may have to revisit that from our Big Ten preview. Uh, let's now go to our future studs here, uh, Dana. I will let you uh, kick this one off because uh, I know that, you again, you want to get off that Ohio State game, but uh, you can't for this category. Yeah, there's no no other place to go but Marvin Harrison G. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he did have a great game, though, uh, once again. But uh, on the defensive side of the ball for Ohio State, JT, Tui Malau, uh, nice. what a performance. Six tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble, fumble recovery, two interceptions, one of those being a pick six. Uh, I saw someone, I can't remember who tweeted it out, so I apologize. But that stat line has happened like three times ever. I mean, just a a wow performance. He was a big-time recruit uh, from, I think, the Seattle area uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, one of the five best recruits in the nation two years ago. He actually waited because uh, he wasn't sure where he was going to go. He, he didn't sign on signing day. He waited until July 4th uh, to sign with Ohio State. And so there were a lot of you know, Washington, USC, Oregon. They were keeping spots open because everybody wanted this guy. And so it was either stay on the West Coast, stay, clo- stay close to home, or go, you know, become – a part of that pipeline with Larry Johnson, defensive line coach, try to follow in the footsteps of Chase Young and the Bozas and those guys. He goes to Columbus and really uh, he hasn't done a ton in terms of making a huge impact the last one and a half seasons, but this was his coming out game. Uh, yep. I mean, that all changed against Penn State. Um, I, I don't know that he's necessarily the talent that Bosa or Chase Young, uh, you know, that type of prospect, but he's got first round talent. There's no doubt. And we saw that on Saturday. 
like even if you were not watching the game and you just happened to be on Twitter, like like everybody was just raving about, oh, oh there goes Tui Malau again. Oh, there goes uh, linebacker 44 again, 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 again. Uh, it was just, it was kind of comical to follow along uh, on social media as that was happening. Um, for me, I want to go back down to the SEC here, Dane. And, you know, we were talking about the, a lot about this Ole Miss backfield coming into the season for good reason. They had made a couple of really big additions. You, you add in Zach Evans, the transfer from TCU. You add in Ulysses Bentley, uh, the transfer from SMU, two guys that were very, very talented, proven track records, both from a college football standpoint and from a recruiting standpoint. We're like, man, these two new additions for Ole Miss, huge. Well, we didn't really count in this third addition that they made to this backfield, and that's the true freshman, Quinshawn Judkins, who has been absolutely outstanding uh, for the team, and that continued against Texas A&M. Look at the stat line for the true freshman running back. 34 carries, 205 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins, yeah, Write that name down for the future. We're going to be talking about this guy uh, for these next couple of years. The fact that he is getting this kind of lion's share uh, with all the other veteran presences in that backfield, it says a lot about his talent. No doubt. And, I mean, Zach Evans has been banged up a little bit. Yep. Um, so, you know, this is really an opportunity for him, and he's certainly taken advantage of it. So, uh, yeah, he it, it's – you know, Ole Miss does such a good job of getting the ball in, in their playmakers' hands and designing plays for them. And, you know, he he certainly shined. And it'll be interesting to watch him the next two years to see what he can do with this talent. All right, well, let's now go to our last category here, Dane, our film room recap, a player that we've studied on film over the last week. I will let you do the honors here to uh, kick us off. Uh, I'm going to go with Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, trying nice. to figure him out. Um, I've got my top 50 coming out this week, trying to figure out, okay, is he definitely on the top 50? If so, where does he belong? Because uh, I think he's he's a little difficult to – because he's I, he, he's really skilled with his long-arm moves, but he's so reliant on those long-arm moves that mm. he doesn't consistently have the the secondary moves, the countermeasures to, to work off of that. Um, now, the, the numbers are – look great. He's got like seven sacks and, um, you know, he's, he's just, he's a really disruptive player, really active player. Um, but I, I'm trying to figure him out, uh, has been a little bit of a challenge. He can get hung up in the trash a little bit too much. Um, but I, I, again, I think that the way different ways they use him has kind of, that that's kind of the point with Isaiah Foskey is I don't know that he has a clear cut. This is your exact position. He can do a lot of different things and there's a little bit of position confusion. Um, but you can also use that to your advantage because he is a good athlete. You throw on the Syracuse tape from Saturday, he was able to uh, use his speed and stick with uh, Sean Tucker down the sideline on, you know, on a, um, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a wheel route or one of those running back routes. And, you know, he was able to stay with them. And Sean Tucker's got pretty good speed. So uh, Isaiah Foskey's got a lot to offer, but trying to figure out exactly, because I don't think he's just a, Plug him in at defensive end, hand in the ground, just rush the entire game. I'm not. I'm not sure that's a, that's his best role. So trying to figure out exactly what alignment is he best, what scheme is he best, how are we best going to use all this talent that he clearly has, and the motor runs hot all the time. So you'll love to see that. But I, it's still a work in progress trying to figure out what his best position and scheme are going to be at the next level. I think if we can like get ahead of what the narratives are going to be with him, I think it's going to be a similar conversation to what will happen with Nolan Smith here in this draft cycle, what happened mm-hmm. with really all the Georgia guys in last year's draft cycle with Walker and Jordan Davis, where it's like, all right, well, 
This guy is a physical marvel. Look at the way he's built. Look at his length. Look at how he's going to test. Because we expect that Foskey's going to test pretty well. At least I do. Um, I don't want to speak on your behalf, mm-hmm. but I think that Foskey's going to test pretty well. But the production is not going to match it, and the, the metrics are not going to match it either. When you look at some of the PFF data and like the pass rush win rates and uh, all of those things, like don't paint Foskey in a, in a positive light. But then when you turn on the film, you see the traits that are there, and then you start to explain it away with some of the usage, and you're like, all right, well, if we ask him to do this in our scheme. What is that going to look like? I think you're going to have those conversations with Isaiah Foskey. I will be interested to see where he ultimately ranks in your top 50. I think I'm probably a little bit higher on him than most. But um, I, again, I think you're, you're kind of betting on what could be with him as opposed to what we're seeing on a down-by-down basis. And they, and they are using that versatility to their advantage. And that's what that coaching staff uh, should be doing. That's what they've done since he's been on campus. But um, he, he's going to be a fascinating prospect to discuss, no question about it. Well, and the other factor is just the – uh, the number, the volume of pass rushers in, in this class. I mean, you're talking about Will Anderson and Miles Murphy and Nolan Smith and Tyree Wilson, uh, BG Argelari's in there. Uh, you know, we haven't forgotten about Jared Verse at Florida State. He's uh, working his way back from his injury, and you know, he had a good game against Georgia Tech. Um, Andre Carter from Army, yep. uh, Zach Harrison from Ohio State's in there. Will McDonald, Iowa State. Uh, you know, not having this season, many thought, but still, just a freaky, freaky talent. So, I mean, that's what ten names right there that you know we're trying to figure out. Okay, just uh, where does he? It, it, it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, he's a he belongs somewhere in the first two rounds, but where does he belong with these other names? That that's where it gets really tough. All right, so for me, uh, I am going to go with another senior uh, in this class, and that's Chase Brown, the running back, um, the running back from Illinois. Uh, 5'9", 211 pounds. Uh, this guy is a really impressive athlete, and that's one of the things that really stands out to me about him is he's got that speed to get to the corner. He's got explosive traits. He's got lateral juice. Definitely has a second gear. You could see that uh, working downhill between the tackles, his ability to kind of fly through the hole, but also uh, his ability to get to the edge and out-leverage defenders. He's got that ability to be a big play threat. Um, he grew up actually in Canada, moved down to Florida when he was in high school, uh, originally went to Western Michigan, and then eventually uh, transferred to Illinois. And he's been the starter the last couple of years. I remember he, the, way, the way he really stood out to me was that run, that game last year against Penn State, Penn where State. Illinois kind of took them the, took them the distance. I yeah. loved what I saw from Chase Brown in that football game. And um, when you pair the way that not just the way he was used there because obviously I've, I've studied a, a couple of games here um, from this season as well, but just the, his ability to handle a heavy workload while still present those athletic traits is really uh, interesting from my standpoint. But ultimately, I think when you watch him, he's not like a he's not like an A plus anywhere outside of the athletic traits. I don't think that uh, his vision is outstanding. I don't think that his ability, his wiggle is outstanding. I don't think that his power is outstanding. He's involved in pass pro, but uh, can get a little bit better with his technique. He's got some double catches as a pass catcher. Um, So there are things where you're like, oh, like, I wish this was a little better. I wish this was a little better. But then you look over and you're like, yeah, but I don't see any like huge glaring weaknesses either. And and that's what really has stood out to me about Chase Brown. He's got the ability to beat you in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, you know, he does, he's not a drive through contact type of power runner. That's just not what he does. Um, and, and you do see some slight hip tightness. Uh, he can be tripped up a little too easily. But then, yeah, he, he I think he does a really nice job pairing his vision with his acceleration. So he quickly clears those holes. Um, he's got, got that quick scan vision where he's not uh, not waiting and waiting for something to come open. He sees it and he hits it pretty quickly. Um, and, and then I, I do think that his 
he has shown development in the passing game um, in terms of going out and catching the football. Well, that's, it's been nice to see that introduced more into his uh, 2022 tape. So yeah, when we talk about these, uh, this running back class, just talking about the seniors, um, you know, I think, you know, where does he stack up? I think he's one of the top 10 senior running back, top 10 senior running back prospects this year. And then how high do we put him? Does he make the top five? Uh, you know, actor Zach Charbonnet and a few of these other guys. I mean, he's right, right there in that discussion. And I, I, I don't know that we necessarily were thinking that high coming into the year. No doubt. Well, uh, Dane, we've got a couple more guys uh, to discuss here. It's time now to go on the clock with Gabrielle DiGiovanni. On the clock. All right, well, it's time now to welcome in Gabriella DiGiovanni for our On the Clock segment. And we have a tie ball game right now. Dane's got three wins. I've got three wins. Uh, so for the rubber match, Ella, take us through what our uh, category is this week. Okay, so I'm sticking with the holiday here. It's in the spirit of spooky season, we're going to go with something scary. Nothing strikes fear in the hearts of a defense like the big play. That's what gets the crowd into the game. That's what fans love to see. So who is the scariest big play threat in the country? We're starting with Fran, who can break the tie. So this was a tough one, and you know it, we, it was kind of like position agnostic, right? So I could have looked around and, and thought of you know, who's a big play weapon uh, at quarterback, at running back, at tight end, but I did end up going with a wide receiver, and what offense is just kind of taking college football by storm? Well, it's the, it's the Tennessee Volunteers. So I'm going to go with a player I talked about earlier in the show, and that's Tennessee wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. Right now, leads the nation with 14 touchdowns. So pure volume in terms of creating big plays is absolutely there. Now, a whopping eight of those 14 touchdowns, Ella, have come on throws 20-plus yards downfield. So when you talk about his ability to create the big play, that is absolutely there with Jalen Hyatt. Now, there are 25 receivers in the country with over 675 yards receiving so far this year. So you're, you're getting the upper echelon who have been the most productive receivers. Uh, Hyatt ranks fourth on that list. He's got 907 yards. But of those 25 guys that I took that sample size, uh, Ella, only one averages more than 19 yards per catch. So you have volume plus big playability. That's Jalen Hyatt with the average of 20.2 yards per catch. So the volume is there, and you would think, oh, well, that's going to hurt the numbers in terms of big play. That is absolutely not the case. He still is creating huge, huge chunk plays for this Tennessee offense. And then if you then search solely based on those big plays, he's, all right, let's just look on throws where he's attacking down the field, where he's targeted at, we'll say, like 10, 15, 20 plus. So looking at those 20-plus yard targets, there are 31 wide receivers that have at least 16 of those targets, those ones where they're 20-plus yards downfield. No one has caught a higher percentage of those targets, 10 out of 17, than Jalen Hyatt. So he is extremely efficient and an inefficient kind of play, right? Those can be very volatile, those 50-50 balls down the field. He has been the most consistent. He has done it at a higher volume and staying with those same targets. What you typically see with stats like that, with those big play numbers, is all right, well, you're doing it one of two ways, right? You're either going to get a ton of yards after catch or your like, average depth of target is going to be really, really high. Well, Jalen Hyatt is the only receiver in that group that ranks in the top four of both yards after catch per reception and average depth of target. So Jalen Hyatt in this Tennessee offense is creating big plays every way imaginable. Down the field, he's been extremely efficient. He's done it at a high, high rate. Volume, efficiency, this guy is scary in every sense of the word. All right, Dane, that was pretty good. What do you got? 
So when Fran told me that, you know, he was going to take Jalen Hyatt uh, with the first pick, I thought, yeah, crap. Yeah, that's 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 going to be tough to top. You know, I thought, oh, maybe Marvin Harrison, uh, you know, the best the best receiver in, in the country. Uh, but you know what? He's not draft eligible, so he, he doesn't apply for this. And then it hit me. There's one obvious answer here. Someone who is clearly more of a big play threat than Hyatt. And that's the guy throwing him the football. And then oh. Hooker, the clear front runner for the Heisman, the engineer of the most productive offense in college football, Tennessee is averaging 49.4 points per game, tops in the country. That's because of Hooker, both with his arm and his legs. He has 14 runs of 10-plus yards, so he can do it with his mobility. As a passer, leads the country in yards per attempt, leads the country in explosive plays downfield. According to PFF, no quarterback in college football has a higher grade on throws of 20-plus yards downfield than the Vols quarterback. So since Hooker has taken over as Tennessee starter last year, so 19 games, he has accounted for 59 total touchdowns and only three interceptions. So Hyatt is a good answer. There's no doubt. But how many touchdowns he has uh, without Hennon Hooker? Zero. So the <laughs> scariest big play threat in the country, Hendon Hooker. That's it. Dang, guys, you put me in a tough spot. Oh, I got to pick out of it. So, and this, this is, uh, is, is going to be very interesting because the the trend has been whoever speaks last usually gets the win. So, we'll see if uh, if I'm able to break. I know, that and I'm trying to break that, so I'm not predictable. <laughs> but then Dane just, hit me with this. Just go with the better answer. That's <laughs> it. You know. Dane, every time you say something, I am going to get the last word in before Ella makes a point. Just so I, sh- I am the last voice that she hears. <laughs> oh, boy. I do this to myself all the time. Yesterday, um, Fran and I were going back and forth on when I was brainstorming what I should make the topic. And I was so excited about this one. And then I'm always left like this and I don't know what to do. Hmm. You know what to do. <sighs> I'm going to go with. All right. So it's Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker with the win. Dane uh, keeps that. the streak no alive. Argument. Yeah. As soon as you started saying, like, oh, hi, it's a good pick, I'm like, oh, no, he's doing Hendon Hooker. Uh, so as soon as you said, hi, it's a good pick, I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, so, all right. So, so, drop. He didn't really need to buy yeah, so, that much. He kind of just put it on the table and walked away. <laughs> All right, so so Dane gets the win. Uh, Hendon Hooker, scariest offensive player uh, in college football this year, and it's, it, it is tough to argue with. Ella, uh, thanks so much once again for for hosting the segment. Dane, we will uh, talk to you both next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by LifeBrand. What makes those great players great? It's time to roll up our sleeves and go under the hood. All right, well, joining us here this week on Under the Hood, a guy who's been on this podcast a couple times before, that's Eric Crocker. You can find him over on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, defensive back expert, one of the best there is uh, in the Twitter space. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Croc, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you, and uh, thank you for the kind words as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you got it, man. Well, listen, there's a reason why I'm bringing you on. We're, we're going to talk corner play. I want to ask you, look, uh, we've talked in the past about like DBs and you could split up the, the different positions. Obviously, there's corner of safety and nickel. I really want to focus in on just outside corner and we'll, we'll focus here on this one question to start. What is your non-negotiable at that position? It's hard to be a great corner on the outside without this one trait. Probably if you don't have anticipation. Mm. Because anticipation can allow you to overcome 
some of the other deficiencies that you might have, whether it might be, you know, like a size or speed or, you know, aggressiveness, et cetera. If you're able to play a step faster uh, mentally, then you can be a great cornerback, right? Think of guys like Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman, while terrific athlete, right? I mean, he's a guy that went from receiver in college to cornerback, right? So uh, the athleticism is there. Clearly the size is there. He's a 6'3", 200-pound cornerback. But I think the thing that made him great, because he wasn't a blazer, and when you are as long as he is, uh, you know, with your limbs, your movement skills tend to be just a little bit longer. So you got to be great with anticipation. And I think being smart, being able to anticipate, understanding, you know, route concepts, what he was getting from guys, I think that's what made Richard Sherman be as great as he is and uh, turning turn a career into, you know, being a Hall of Famer. And that's the thing. We were talking with, about this with James Bradbury over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast last week was that, you know, he was a guy that you can always kind of see that those like route instincts show up is like how quickly he breaks on things. Uh, and this showed up, you know, even like when I went back and studied his tape uh, playing for the Giants last year, when everyone said, oh, this is a down year for him in 2021, like time and time and time again, he's just breaking on these throws so much faster than like what your average corner would do. And I guess that that's a mix, right, in terms of just the naturally, naturally instinctive uh, ability to kind of react to body movement, right? Like, so that reaction quickness, but then also just like understanding of down, distance, formation, personnel, all the situational awareness stuff that comes from the, the film study aspect of things, right? There, there's so much that goes into playing the cornerback position. And I think at, at younger ages, it's pretty simple, right? You know, you got cover one, cover two, cover three, and hey, cover three, you just go out there and, you know, just play out there in space, don't get beat deep. Right. But when you start to get to the NFL level, it's, it's much more than that. Uh, you you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the down and distance, right? What, what's the situation here? Is it third and 10? Is it third and 15? And, and, you know, it's not just the defensive guys either. It's the offensive coaches understanding how to scheme against what a defender might be thinking so that it right. makes it harder for them to anticipate. But when you're a guy that truly understands what they want to do, and, and I heard this from Richard Sherman one time on social media, Richard Sherman and Eric Davis as well, they don't so much study the player they're going up against. They study the coordinator. Mm. And I think understanding what the coordinator wants to do in certain down and distances, that's going to help you be able to play faster. Even if you're not a guy that isn't quote unquote, you know, fast with your 40 time. Yeah. I think there's just so many examples. I was glad you hit up Richard Sherman to me. Like as soon as you said anticipation, that's immediately where my head went was uh, someone that can maximize all of the, you have all your physical tools and that's great. That's going to give you like that high floor. But when you have that anticipation, which comes with all of those extracurriculars that you're putting into being great, well, that's when you can now take your game to the next level. You're maximizing every physical trait you've got at your disposal. So aside from that anticipation trait, what are three of the three most important on-field traits uh, for this position um, for a player to be an NFL starter? You can kind of buzz through all three real quick, and then we can kind of uh, hash out a little bit more as we go through. All right. Uh, so I have it written down, feet, speed, and toughness. Love it. And I think some of that also can be summed up with uh, fluidity, right? Being a fluid mover. But for the most part, uh, you don't have to be as fluid, but I think having a, a certain a threshold of speed and having really good feet and toughness. Those are three things that I really try to key in on. I love it. All right. So um, when you're worried about speed, how much of that are you putting into like combine 40 time versus play speed and what you're seeing on tape? What are some things that some of our listeners at home that are trying to get better at this uh, can take away from you know what to look for from a speed standpoint? 
So I typically lean towards f- the film. Yep. Right? Well, what is the film telling me? You know, is this guy challenging himself from press, being able to run vertically with guys? Is he worried about getting beat over the top? And I, and I can see that if he's, uh, you know, breaking his technique a little bit too quick, right? Uh, is, is he bailing out? As opposed to, and when I say bailing out, if I'm impressed, even if I man turn into a guy, but I'm so far upfield shoulder because I'm scared that he's going to get a step on me vertically, I pay attention to that. And that lets me know either you're not fast or you don't have confidence in your speed. And now, mm. if you go out and you run a fast 40 time, that lets me know, well, okay, you do have the straight line speed, but you're not playing with that same level of confidence. And and uh, I'd say a guy who you would see do that a bit too much on film. You saw good examples of him doing it right, but definitely would see some examples of him really bailing on his technique was maybe like Eric Stokes, who ran in the yeah, four right. twos. It's like, yep. dude, you are way too athletic to ever bail yes. on your technique or get too far upfield shoulder. You know, nobody's gonna just outrun you running straight down the field. So um, I definitely look at the speed element from from that, you know, and then I look at guys like myself who hand time I was a four or five five guy so if i'm running a four or five five hand time i don't even want to know what that is laser time right <laughs> and i know how i had to play now i had to really learn how to master uh playing while not being the fastest guy out there but then not really having it all up here either made it to where it's like ah you probably won't be able to play at the nfl level because i was lacking those things um so if you aren't going to be a speedster like we talked about with maybe like a Richard Sherman, then you better have it up here. Mm. And when you talk about all of these traits, right? It's the there are certain there's a, a finite amount of guys that are good in that trade. There's a finite amount of guys that are bad in that trade, and everybody else in the NFL kind of in that gray area. So let me ask you this: when it comes to feet and playing corner. What does that look like if it's good? And what does that look like if it's bad? Uh, how does that help? For, again, for our listeners that are trying to get better at this, what does good feet look like? What do bad feet look like? Oh, man. Some of the guys that have, like, the best feet, man. And you guys got a good one right now, Darius Slay. Those, those feet are yep. awesome, right? You see him play in off coverage. And, and guys that have great feet, man, they they play with their feet. And it's really hard for me to kind of explain. I know it when I see it. I think uh, in recent years, like Asante Samuel Jr., he was a good guy that played with his feet extremely well from off coverage. But really just saying, you know what? I can backpedal out. I can transition in and out of my breaks extremely quick. I can change directions with guys. And, and the guys that have the great feet, they make it look effortless. Yeah. Right? Uh, guys like, you know, some of these longer corners, you might tend to see them get a little stuck in the ground here and there. Uh, maybe do their feet stop at the top of bricks. But the guys that have the good feet, man, those things are just effortlessly turning over. And Darius Slay, he's one of the best at it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was wasted movement coming out of those breaks uh, definitely can show up uh, on tape. When you look at it back at your, your, you've been watching draft prospects now for a long time. Obviously, been playing DB for you know for a long, long time. What, how have your evaluations changed? How have they evolved over the course of studying this position? I think the one thing that I've taken away, and not just at the defensive back position, but at the receiver position, quarterback position, really all positions, anyone can be the exception. Mm. And I think a lot of it has to do with who the player is. And I think that's the part that's overlooked probably a little bit too much. And when I say who the player is, not not even the player, who the person is, Mm. right? Is this someone that's going to go above and beyond to really work on his weaknesses? Is going to, you know, try to improve and become a better version of whatever he is. And uh, you can look at maybe some limitations on film and identify those things. If he was able to get by with those things in college, 
Uh, and I'm not saying take the take the the except exception in the first round, but don't completely remove a guy off of your board if you think that he's a good football player. Because if he has the right mindset, he can work to overcome some of his flaws. Yeah, it's like I said, all these guys here, you might have like one thing, like, oh, the arm length isn't there. Uh, maybe the, the top end speed's not there. Maybe his feet are a little bit slow. But if you've got that anticipation, now all of a sudden, okay, that can overcome and mask some of those deficiencies. Uh, those That pops up all the time. And obviously, you know, scheme agnostic too. You're just being understanding of what, how are you want, how do you want to play defense? What are some of the things that really are non-negotiable with your scheme and the way that you want to play? And, and that's kind of how I want to wrap this conversation up, Croc, is uh, corner for a lot of people is viewed as that this is a you know it's up there with you know quarterback pass rusher tackle as a, pri- a priority position as a high value position but for some people he said no i think it's probably in that deck below in that tier below the way you look at it now, and with teams playing now heavy zone coverage, heavy, heavy two high schemes, the, the cover two shells uh, and the cover four shells, when you're looking at saying, all right, well, if the majority of the team is playing that way, or the majority of the league is playing that way, rather, does that affect how valuable the cornerback spot is? Or do you still feel like, hey, like a starting corner is a starting corner? Like that, that is tough to find, and that should be held in really high regard. I think when you say, you know, a starting corner is a starting corner, right? Because there's a kind of a big window of that, right? There's a lot of starting corners. 64. But I do look at it as if you have two guys that are in that top 64 of cornerbacks, then you have two guys that are solid and can play. And really the biggest difference from guys, and I was watching, um, I was watching NBA, what's that, on on TNT with like, you know, Charles Barkley and those guys. And I think it was not Charles. I think it was Kenny. I was talking about like all these guys are great, but some are just more consistent than others, more consistently great. I think essentially what he's saying is uh, all these guys are good, but the great ones are the ones that are more consistent. Mm. So when you look at cornerbacks in the NFL, you can find and pick plays where any of these guys are excellent on that play. The the best of them, the guys that are going to be truly the top 64 or even top 32 are the guys that, are just far more consistent than that number 64 uh, cornerback in the league. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen a corner with the 49ers, Keller Witherspoon. I thought Keller Witherspoon showed flashes of greatness, flashes of, man, I'm, I am a legit corner. But they were just that, a little bit more flashes as opposed to, like, the consistency. And uh, I, I think uh, that that's the one thing with the cornerback position where it's just hard. And I think it's just hard in general in the NFL to become a consistently good corner because – and from, you know, playing and play out because of how the, the cornerback position is ref. It's a tough right? position, yeah you, you, right. you, yeah. you grab a guy a little too much, they throw a flag. You touch a guy a little too much, they throw a flag. You hit a guy too hard, they throw a flag. But let a receiver, you, uh, you know, push off and they'll make all the excuses for why. Oh, well, he didn't extend his arm all the way. It's like, <laughs> man, you try running full speed next to somebody and they barely touch you. And look how much that affects you and your path to yeah. trying to defend the guy on the ball. So uh, I think it makes it a lot more difficult to play the cornerback position. And if it's me, I definitely prioritize pass rush over uh, secondary. And, and if I'm not right. mistaken, I see like the Eagles, right? The Eagles, they just went and got Robert Quinn. Yep. Yeah, I, I, that's smart. Because now you have two solid corners. You got two. Well, really, Darius Slade might be the best corner in the NFL right now, the way he's playing. But, uh, you know, having guys that can get after it on the pass rush and help, I, I think that helps the secondary as well. Yeah, I think, and the way that you said it too is like, you know, there are there are sixty four starting corners, and I almost think that we that's where you almost have to bring in 
the understanding of what those tiers look like, the value of, you know, Jalen Ramsey going in the top five, like that's warranted value because of what Jalen Ramsey has been uh, throughout the course of his career, where if that's just, you know, insert starting corner here, like, yeah, you, you get a good player, you, know, you get a quality player, but if he's the 14th best corner on an on average in the NFL, if he's a, a solid starting number one corner, which is good, that's a, a valuable player to have. Taking him over a stud pass rusher is not something that you can validate, right? But I think I have an understanding of all those different tiers and uh, understand well, the impact that a player like that can have. The, the Eagles are seeing that with a guy like Darius Slay. Um, yeah, that, that can be so, so big for your defense and for your team. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Croc, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, here to go under the hood at the cornerback spot. Appreciate it. Again, everybody go check out uh, Eric on Twitter. Check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Croc, we will talk to you again soon, man. I really appreciate you joining us. All right, thanks for having me on. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so great stuff there from Eric Crocker. Now, I want to keep the conversation going, talking about the cornerback position. And I thought, you know what? We've already gone through Avante Maddox. We've talked through James Bradbury. Let's talk through big play Slay. And so initially I was thinking, all right, well, Ben and I will do our normal segment. But as he and I were talking about it, it occurred to me, you know what? I've had conversations with Jeff Collins, Darius Slay's defensive coordinator at Mississippi State, about Slay when he was in college and projecting him forward to the NFL. So who better to talk about Slay from college projecting him forward than his former defensive coordinator? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to toss to some of my, my conversation with Coach Collins from a couple of years ago over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and uh, we will start, let that serve as our scouting report this week. So enjoy this conversation between myself and Jeff Collins talking about big play Slay. So another guy that you had down there at Mississippi State as well, uh, a member of the Eagles secondary, and that's cornerback uh, Darius Slay. Same kind of deal. What was it like coaching Darius? Uh, definitely a, a unique personality in terms of what he brings uh, to the defensive side as well. Uh, what was it like coaching him? So my claim to fame with Darius is I gave him the nickname Big Play Slay. Oh, that's big time. That's awesome. And I think I gave it to him when we were recruiting him. Um, but just he, he great player, great personality. And just got better every single year, has such attention to detail uh, to being elite. Um, he, he's gifted. I mean, he's he's one of the fastest players I've ever seen in real life and in person. Um, he played opposite uh, a Jim Thorpe Award winner. So Jonathan Banks won the Jim Thorpe Award at Mississippi State. And the corner opposite him was Darius Slay. And because Darius was such a dominant player as well, a lot of the plays would go to Jonathan and uh, he made the most of them. Um, but that was a really good duo to be able to coach back in the day. And I just really, really happy for Darius or really happy for big play Slay uh, doing his thing up there in Philly. There's a, a new defensive scheme here in Philadelphia. And the belief by a lot of media is that there's going to be a lot more zone coverage. And, you know, last year was primarily man to man. How do you feel just in terms of, uh, you know, what you know from big play Slay? Uh, how do you feel he transitions to that kind of scheme? I think that's a question that a lot of media have right now. Yeah, so that, and we played a lot of uh, a lot of zone premise um, when we were together at Mississippi State. And he's got a tremendous feel for the game. Uh, he studies the game; it's important to him. Uh, being elite is important to him, and uh, he's just got a great feel for the game. Whether it be locking somebody down a man or having some freedom and vision uh, in zone coverage, I, I mean, I think the world of, of Darius. So uh, I think he'll be successful in every scheme. Getting back to the, the turnover discussion, do you feel like playing a little bit more zone can open things up for a guy to be able to kind of see the whole field and break on throws early and kind of create uh, some more of those turnovers if you're playing corner? It's different, yeah. right? It's different the way the, the turnovers happen globally, 
Um, schematically, from a corner's perspective, probably so. Um, from a global perspective, there's uh, turnovers by playing man with different ways, turnovers by playing zone in different ways. So I, I don't know if that plays into it, but I think Darius will have a will have a ton of success. Really fun reflecting on that conversation with Coach Collins. And again, Darius Slay, uh, just a special corner. There was a play he made uh, in this past week in the win over Pittsburgh where he ran the comeback route better than Deontay Johnson. It was one of the few times that Slay was truly targeted in coverage in this game, and he nearly came up with an outstanding interception. It was a great pass breakup along the sideline. So uh, those route instincts, those ball skills, the athleticism, the quickness in and out of breaks, all that showed up on that play as well. And, and again, keep in mind some of the overlap we hear from Eric Crocker to Jeff Collins reflect on some of the conversations we've had uh, with Ben Fennell in recent weeks, talking through all of these different traits you're looking for, especially to play defense. I think a lot of that shows up time and time again. A lot of overlap there with what you're looking for from college players moving to the NFL. So uh, good stuff there from Jeff Collins from a couple years ago. Great stuff from Eric Crocker, from Gabriella DiGiovanni, from from Dane Brugler. We're going to catch up with everybody uh, next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. However, we do have another great episode later this week. Ross Tucker, Ben Fennell, another special guest going to join us Once again, right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.